Friends, my name is Paul Koch. I'm the pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Ventura. And uh, I meet every week with Pastor Mike and some other uh, unscrupulous individuals. Uh, and uh, I'm very happy that uh, we have uh, Peace Lutheran Church as part of our rotation this year. We've done this with other churches over the years. And um, I'm glad to be here to be part of your Advent service this year. Um, do me a favor as you continue throughout this season, I'm sure you're already doing it, but continue to keep uh, Mike in your prayers. As you know, obviously a lot now is on his shoulders. I know he's lots of help, lots of wonderful people here. Uh, but as you are praying for Pastor Kreitzer, as he's uh, uh, you know, weighing this call and, and coming out and doing all those meetings, uh, continue to pray for him, Mike as he's uh, uh, trying to find his way forward as well. Um, Tonight, our, our Advent series is called Voices from the Edge, and, um, and we'll get to that in a sec. I, I don't know if anyone here has been able to, many years ago, my wife and I were able to visit the Sistine Chapel in Rome. Has anyone been there? Everyone? Yeah, it's amazing, right? Uh, you, when you go in the Sistine Chapel, you go into the Sistine Chapel, and it's, it is overwhelming, right? You're, you're looking straight up, right? And you're, it's kind of hard to look up, and when you look up, it's it's almost difficult to know where to start. The whole ceiling, right, is, is covered in Michelangelo's incredible uh, paintings there. And, and all of these scenes unfold before your eyes, and you're not really sure where to look, what thing you should, should focus upon. But then you go to the one spot that I think everybody goes, because it's the one scene that is reproduced over and over again. We see it on t-shirts and coffee mugs. You'll see it on banners, on websites, all kinds of things. And it's the famous painting of the creation of Adam. And we know that painting, right? You can probably close your eyes and you can picture it where Adam is there, the first creation, and he's reaching out his arm, outstretched, and God is reaching down to Adam, and their fingers are pointed right towards each other, right? And there's this little, little gap in between their fingers. And it's that little gap, that little space between their fingers that holds all the tension. And in many ways, when you look up at that ceiling, it kind of holds the tension of the whole masterpiece, right? This one single moment. There's Adam on earth stretching out his hand, longing for the touch of his creator. And the creator there clothed in the clouds, he's got angels surrounding him, uh, his garments furled, and he's reaching down, and all the tension is built into that one moment, the touch of creation, the moment where life begins for mankind. Now, when you're standing there and you're looking up, it's hard to look up for very long. I mean, it's difficult just to look up that way, because it's, it's not like in the distance, it's right over your head. It's also difficult because they don't give you a lot of time, right? They usher you into that space and they, and they, they, in a group and they let you kind of take it in and then they usher you out. And so after a certain amount of time, your eyes are forced to move away from the wonder of that beautiful ceiling in that sacred space and instead your eyes drift towards normal life, right? Towards everything that we have in our world. And the thing is, the more we look at life in our world, the more we take stock of our age, the more we see that that space between the divine and the humanity, between 
heaven and earth, between time and eternity, why it seems massive. Since mankind's fall from grace, our world is consumed in that space between God and man. It, it saturates our life. You know, no matter what news feed it is you follow, whatever, you know, your favorite thing on the phone is, or if you watch the news, or I suppose there's still people that read a newspaper, right? Whatever it is you use to get your news, it's just full of stories, story after story of how far we have fallen from the touch of God. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's Betrayal, lies, slander, gossip on every page. There's, there's school shootings, sexual deviance, on and on it goes. And, and it gets so overwhelming that we can't quite bear it. Our heads begin to swirl, our hearts ache with what goes on in our age. We fill our lives with all sorts of entertainment and distraction. We have than drugs and alcohol that dull the senses, anything to make it all a little bit more bearable, to move from day to day as we long, like Adam in that image, reaching out our hand, hoping, longing for the touch of God. And yet in our Advent series this year, these voices from the edge, tonight we are given a great gift. We're given a word from the edge, that, and by the edge here what I mean is it comes outside of that experience, outside of our longing for something more. And we hear some wonderful, comforting words from St. Paul. Paul says incredible things here. He says, behold, now, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now. And that's an incredible thing for Paul to say because when Paul is speaking these words, he's speaking it in Corinth in the midst of a mess, a big mess. Paul knew the Corinthians well. He had spent over a year with them, lived in their homes, taught them over and over again. He, he reached out to them. He explained to them how spiritual gifts work and, and, and how to receive the supper of our Lord and the incredible life-altering gift that is. And yet now there's, there's false teachers that have come in. And these guys are good. I mean, they're exciting. They're eloquent speakers. They know rhetoric. It's, they're powerful. Everyone flocks to listen to them. They come in and they, they're attested by other men as being sent by God himself. They claim to see visions and know revelation. And everyone's turning to them, and what they preach, they're holding on to, and they begin to doubt everything Paul had said to them. Even more so, they begin to doubt the God that Paul proclaimed in their midst. And so by the time you get into 2 Corinthians, this is the mess that Paul is dealing with. And what's incredible about 2 Corinthians is out of all the context that Paul has, in this church, people he knew, of all the, all the connections he had made over the years, all the credentials that he had for what he had accomplished as a minister, as an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't rely on any of that. He turns to God. In fact, what he says in the text is he says, the love of God controls us. Now, it's interesting. Our older translations would say the love of Christ compels us. 
But those two words are powerful, right? The love of Christ is the thing that is doing this. It's the active thing that will change these people. The active thing that will bring hope and clarity. The love of Christ. Not the love of Paul. Not the wisdom of Paul. Not the strength of Paul. Not the leadership of Paul. Not his power or his charisma. No, the love of Christ. The love of Christ is the only thing. It is the love that bears all, that endures all, that will risk losing all so that you might have what he gives, forgiveness, life, salvation. And those are the things we need, especially, especially when we feel so distant from our God. My very first call out of the ministry, to the ministry was to a little town in southeast Georgia. I was there for eight years. Wonderful town. Uh, it was a military town. What that means, a military town, is it was a very young congregation. So what that means for a new pastor is I did a whole bunch of baptisms and marriages. Very few funerals. That was a plus to it. I went a year and a half, almost two years before I did my first funeral. And as a young pastor during that time, I kept thinking to myself, boy, I'm terrified of that funeral, whatever it's going to be, right? And you kind of you think, well, when it comes, because you know it will come at some point, I hope it's, you know, it's that, that old saint who's been around forever, you know, who's kind of got to that point in their life where, where death is almost like a merciful release. One of those. Well, that's not what it was. Instead, for me, it was the father of a teenage girl who suffered a massive stroke and would not recover. And I'll tell you, I won't ever forget that. I won't forget standing in the ER with his wife and their daughter. And probably more selfishly, I won't forget how foolish I felt. I wanted to help, you see. I wanted to, to do something. I wanted to, to bring comfort or guidance or something. But everything I thought of, every option in my head, all seemed stupid. It, w- it had no place here. Not now, not in this grief, not in this moment. What could I possibly say? And, and at that moment for me in my ministry, I thought, maybe I'm not cut out for this. I have got nothing to say. And I sat with him for a long time and was quiet for a long time. That that was probably a good thing. And eventually I found my voice, or better yet, I think those words of Paul here are more what happened, is that the love of Christ compelled me. The love of Christ controlled it. So it turned out there was something to say. It wasn't eloquent, it wasn't beautiful, not by worldly standards, but there was something to say. It was a story to tell. A story of our Lord Jesus Christ, of his suffering death, and more importantly, his resurrection, his promise of life, and something beyond this veil of tears. In that moment where we reached out and longed for God to say something, he was speaking with us in our midst, in his words and his promises what we held on to from Christ. 
When you look up at the Sistine Chapel, you see that little gap between the fingers, and in a way, Michelangelo's kind of focusing us there. But St. Paul, in his voice to us today from the edge, doesn't focus on the gap. He doesn't focus at all on that separation. He focuses on the connection. Right as we have in Michelangelo's image, one hand reaching up to God and God's hand reaching down, what does Paul present to us? He presents the hand of God in humanity, in a human hand. He says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God didn't stand outside of his creation and, and, and watch it go by. He got into it. He got his hands dirty. He came into our midst. He came to do what we could never do. He lived that perfect life. He gave himself. He went all the way you see, because he didn't just simply announce that he has come or he didn't simply announce that, that there is forgiveness. He did the work to earn your forgiveness. So much so that Paul in that text today says that, that, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. God's hand. It's the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. A hand that grabs a hold of your sin. It grabs a hold of the mess of our lives. He grabs a hold of those doubts and the fears. Especially when we feel that distance, that silence from our God. He grabs a hold of it. And he takes it as his own. He who know no sin becomes that sin. And he stretches that out upon the cross to die for you. He doesn't stay dead, right? He rises from the dead. There is victory over this. The love of Christ controls. The love of Christ moves on. Or as Paul wonderfully says, Behold, this is a favorable day. Behold, this is a day of salvation. And this is what we need to be reminded of. As we press on through our Advent season, as we look towards that glorious celebration of the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, we need to hold on to God getting dirty, coming into our midst to seek and save you. For He comes for you. He doesn't stay high and lifted up, He doesn't stay on a ceiling in Rome. He comes right into your life, and he comes even now. He comes in his word, in his sacrament, to touch you, to get a hold of you. He comes when he washes you in the waters of holy baptism. He comes when he proclaims that word of forgiveness in, his ear, in your ears. He comes when you proclaim forgiveness to one another. He comes when he places his body and blood in with and under bread and wine into your mouths in the supper of our Lord. He comes over and over again. God advents with his people. He comes to you. This is our hope. This is our confidence. This is our assurance. You are the children of God. He comes right here, right now. So that you might know that you are forgiven. You're forgiven all of your sins. You are loved. 
You are the children of God, heirs of eternal life. Crowns are upon your heads in his victory. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. All glory be to God. Amen.